desperate. Uh, that's one of those words that growing up as a teenager was not a word that you wanted to be associated with, uh, particularly in social circles, right? You didn't want to be the person that was desperate, the, the, the person that might have been over one relationship on Tuesday and had a brand new one by Friday, right? The, the kind of person that by the time of Christmas break, you had already had a handful of relationships desperate was not something that you wanted to be called desperate. Uh, it's something that each one of us has faced at different times. There are those that are desperate for attention and will do anything uh, to get it. There are those that are desperate for belonging and will compromise to have it. There are those that are desperate to cling to the successes of the past and therefore uh, will tout their accomplishment accomplishments to, to anybody that they can. There are those that are desperate for their youth and will do whatever they can to cling to it uh, far after the years that their youth is gone. There are those that are desperate for money or possessions and will do whatever they can to acquire it. There are those desperate for relief and will take drastic measures just in hopes of finally having some kind of relief. Desperate. Uh, it's something that each of us have felt at times, and yet uh, very few of us may actually admit to the the yearning of our hearts, the the desperation that we feel, those things that might make life very difficult, that make it hard to admit where we are really at, because it would expose our hearts to somebody else. And as we all know, there can be great risk with that. It's not easy to admit that you're desperate. It's not easy to be in a place where it seems like um, everything is falling apart. Rather, we would rather show that things are even keel, that we're doing okay, that we're staying afloat. And yet, in our heart of hearts, there are those times that we face such desperation. You see, desperation in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a matter of what is it that we are desperate for and what does that desperation cause us to do? What does it lead us to do? And the question this morning is, does our desperation lead us to life-giving hope? I believe that what we are going to see in Psalm 42 this morning is a case of utter desperation. And within it, we are going to find um, direction and a midst of hope, and yet not everything all simply tidied up or wrapped up in a bow. But I want to encourage you this morning to turn there with me, Psalm 42. Um, we are going to be looking at this psalm together. Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That's right. This is the first psalm that we're looking at in our series entitled Songs of Summer that is not written by David. Um, We see right from the offset that it is a psalm, a a miscal from the sons of Korah. And these guys were assigned to help lead the people of God in worship, and that is what they are doing. Now, as we look at Psalm 42, theologians believe that Psalm 42 and 43 actually go hand in hand. So if you want a fuller context late today, I encourage you to read uh, Psalm 43 as well um, as we take these things as a whole. But here is what we see in Psalm 42 this morning is that the psalmist, the writer of this song, is in a state of desperation. Uh, This picturesque scene that he begins with at first does not uh, immediately reveal the immense longing of his heart. As we see, he says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Now, if if you grew up in the church, perhaps you remember singing this chorus where it just sounded kind of melodic and nice. As the deer pants for the water. You know, and it was just, it was nice. A lot of our songs sound nice, but the desperation of what he is feeling here um, is so intense. At at first, it appears that he's just waxing poetic. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, it's like this nature scene. There's, There's this running river, and there's deer alongside of it, and it's thirsty. It's it's longing for that drink. It sounds peaceful. It it sounds marvelous. And yet Here is this desire, this intense longing that he has for this desire to be quenched for something that is going to fill this hole. Like Brady was just talking about, this God-shaped hole. He is looking for this quenching that can only come from God. Now, I don't know how many of us have actually ever seen a deer panting. I I, I don't think I ever have. But I have seen a dog panting. Uh, yesterday, I even saw myself panting, okay? I, I mean, in the last couple of days, probably a lot of us, it's like, you know what? I don't need to think of deer. I don't need to think of dogs. <laughs> we, were, we were all panting. I mean, for Pete's sake, yesterday, I was just like outside loading up my trunk with some stuff, and by the time I was done, I was a sweaty mess. And, and you know, like in those times when you are yearning, like, oh, man, I am so thirsty, you see a dog that is panting, and you know it because its tongue is out, and it's just going, and you know that when you finally give that dog a drink where it's just lapping up the entire bowl, and you're like, wow, that thing was thirsty. And yet here is this description of what he is experiencing. Man, like that longing. I'm looking for relief. I am looking for nourishment. I am looking for this refreshment that can only come from God. 
He is in this desperate situation where, God, I I need you. I I need you so badly. He's talking about, verse 1, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God he has in verse 2. Have you ever had those times where your heart is just crying out to God to do what only God can do? Where where nothing else is going to uh, fit the bill, where it's only by God's working, by God's hand, by God's empowerment, by God's grace, by God's leading, that there is going to be some sense of relief. Here is the hope for us as we look at chapter 42 this morning. First of all, that the cries of the desperate find their refuge in God. The cries of the desperate find their refuge in God. Another way of saying that is that we could say that they find their satisfaction in God. That they find their relief in God. That they find their consolation in God. That he becomes the place where the soul is set free. Now, as we think about songs of summer and just the different songs over the years, there are numerous songs that talk about desire about what the heart wants, about this strong yearning for something, and yet the common refrain in life song is, I can't get no satisfaction. Because as we look at what our heart most needs, it's that God alone satisfies the longing of the human heart. You see, any, any other desire beyond God or besides God that becomes our number one desire, our number one pursuit, is idolatry. And idols can never fit the bill. Idols can never do what a living God can do. Notice that the psalmist is crying out to the living God. Not some idea. Not some wooden object or some golden object. He is talking and crying out to the living God, the only one that can hear him, the only one that can satisfy the longing of his heart. And it's the yearning for more of God that is the one pursuit where there is no need for correction or rebuke. Here's the reality. You can never have too much God. You you can never go overboard on your desire for more of God. There's never going to be a point where you say, God, I want more of you. He's like, hey, hang on there, buddy. (laughs) Because God desires to give us what we most need, and what we most need is him. And God wants to give us more of himself that we might know him. God alone satisfies the longing of the human heart. And yet what we so often find is that we are so easily satisfied with what we know of God. You see, we we can say God satisfies the longing of the human heart, and yet, at the same time, in our weakness, we become so easily content in what we already understand of God instead of continually pursuing God. For instance, let's just break that down a little bit. Let's say, like, you know, you didn't have anything to eat this morning, and your stomach starts growling in the next 20 minutes. And then you're starting to get really hungry, and you have this great meal planned for tonight. And, man, it's going to be all the fixing. Everything is going to be a party, and you can't wait to eat that meal. And you finally eat that meal, and you are completely satisfied. 
But in that satisfaction, it doesn't mean that now, hey, you can go until Friday. It doesn't mean that now, because you're satisfied with that meal, that you can go another two weeks having not eaten. But yet, that's what we do with God sometimes. It's like, God, you satisfy the longing of my heart. Thanks, God. That's good. I'm good to go now. And then we just rest in what we have learned or where we're already at in our relationship with God instead of continually desiring to know him more. See, we are to be a people that our main desire is for God. And the reality is, is that we tend to most easily recognize that need in desperate times. Which is why even desperate times can be an act of God's grace in our life. Because what we most need is not our relief. What we most need is not our comfort. What we most need is not our peace or our satisfaction. We need God. And so anything that causes God to be highlighted in our life is a good thing, even though incredibly difficult at times, even in those times where we are desperate, in those times we realize that God is enough, that God is the main thing that our hearts need, even in those times when it seems like God is far off, and that's what the psalmist is addressing here. What he is looking at, what I want us to see clearly, this battle of discouragement. Where, where he is wrestling. Look at verse 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever had those seasons in your life? Where you are surprised at the number of tears that you have shed. Where, where you didn't think that you had the number of tears stored up. Like it surprised you how much water that could be held that could come out of your eyes. Where day and night you wake up and it's like, my goodness, you're just overwhelmed with the, the things that are happening. You go to bed and the last thing you remember doing is it's just crying your sleep, your, yourself to sleep. He's saying, hey, this is, this is where I'm at. It seems like nothing is going right. Maybe it, it seems like one of those times when the entire world is against you, and it even seems like God is against you. It, it seems like God has abandoned you. It seems like you're, you're praying, but it doesn't seem like God is listening. And so has God given up on you? Has, has God ignored you? Is God stiff-arming you? Is God just putting you on hold and he's out doing something else in other people's lives and yet you're kind of floundering, wondering what is going on? In those times, those moments where there doesn't seem to be any consolation and you're wondering how long is this going to go on like this? How long do I have to put up with this? Is, is this just my lot in life? Is it really um, just the case where, you know, I'm going round after round and it seems like at any moment we're, we're going to go for the knockout here. It's, it's going to put us down on the mat. Or it seems like those merry-go-rounds where it's just going around and around. It's like, okay, I, I just want to get off of this right now. I, I don't want to continually be facing this. You face the anxiety and the disappointment and the grief. And maybe you begin to question if it's just you. Are you the problem? Is it, is it me? We just messed up? Maybe it seems like every 
other follower of Jesus has things going well. It seems like their lives are pretty well put together. They've had steady jobs, and it seems like, you know, their marriages are going okay, and their kids are all growing up, and they're making good choices. And, man, everything just seems to be falling in line with so many other followers of Jesus. And you're looking at, man, my life isn't like that. The desperation uh, of our own hearts. Maybe um, you've prayed countless times about something, and, and it, it just seems like now there's nothing new to be said about what you're praying. It's just all your prayers, because they've been so many times, it's just a repeat of the, the same old thing. It just seems repetitious. Prayers, they don't even seem new. What do you, what do, you do in, in those times when it seems like God is silent? you've ever been there there's hope for you because that's where the, the psalmist is at maybe you can relate as he's talking in verse four about pouring out his soul before god where you just lay yourself bare this is where i'm at where it's not always the joyous god you are so good and and we're happy and we're excited and and we're motivated and we're encouraged and yes life is awesome but in those moments where you're broken and you're hurting and, and you're discouraged and you feel weak and you feel like you just want to throw in the towel, those moments where you can pour out your soul before God, those, those opportunities where um, you can reveal where you are at before him. And what we see with the psalmist here is that he is admittedly discouraged as he reveals his heart. He, he says in verse 5 that his heart is downcast. In other words, he's facing despair. Uh, this isn't just like one of those happy songs. This is one of those moments where he is facing the difficulty of everything that is going on and, and he is discouraged and yet here he is pouring his heart before the living God. And in and, and verse 7, it seems like he is drowning in grief and trouble as he's talking about uh, the waves hitting over him, the, the breakers that are hitting over him. Ever, ever been there? Uh, those moments where you just feel overwhelmed or you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, man, I, I don't know how this ends. I don't know if it's going to end. I don't know if this is just how it is. Um, the, those times when it just seems like we're being tossed around by those waves. Now, if you've ever swam in the ocean or been in a place where there's breaker waves, you know it's not just like a kiddie, uh, a kiddie pool. You realize that when those waves hit, if you've ever been out there, man, those waves hit you and they can take you down. You, you tumble to the bottom. You, you might hit the bottom and, and, and you, you get tossed around. You realize, holy cow, this thing is powerful and I'm not in control. And, and you're down and you come back up to take a breath and then another wave hits you. And you start the process all over again. That's where he's at. He says, man, it just seems like wave after wave is hitting me. And yet, in the midst of that, notice his sense of who is ultimately in control of all of this. Who is ultimately in control, even in these kind of moments, he describes those waves as being God's waves. You see, getting, getting through these kind of situations, when you feel desperate, when you feel lost, when you feel like throwing in the towel, when you are discouraged, it's not going to be about just pulling um, your, yourself up by your bootstraps. It, it's not a matter of just, come on, just, just gird yourself up, just get your act together, just get going. 
You're not going to be able to do it alone. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. What we see in this psalm is, though, is, is that even though it seems as though God is far off, that ultimately hope is found in, in looking to him and, and pouring ourselves out before him. Which leads us to our second point, that the temptation in desperate times is to question the goodness and existence of God. You see, the person that has experienced the difficulty at times not only has the difficulty of what is happening in their life, but then also there are the social ramifications as there are those that are watching. Where's your God? Where's your God? Aren't you one of those Jesus followers? Aren't you a Bible thumper? Aren't you one of those Christians? I mean, I'm not doing any of that. My life's fine. And you start to question, why is it a matter of following Jesus where it seems like my, my life is more difficult than somebody that wants nothing to do with God? Maybe there are those people that are looking at us and thinking that for us, Jesus is just a good luck charm. Jesus is just kind of like one of those Greek gods that as long as you please them, then things are good. And if you get on their bad side, then they just they smash you. Jesus is just that good luck charm. So some might question, well, what's the point in following God? Who, 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 needs, who needs that? What, what good is it in following God if bad things happen to you even if you follow him? What's the point? Or maybe it takes on even a more condescending tone. I mean, that is where he is at, as he mentions in verse 3 and verse 10. There are those that are questioning, where is your God? They're not coming alongside to, to help. They're not coming alongside to strengthen faith. They're not coming alongside to say, hey, I, I really want to know how God fits into this. Would you teach me? They are just there to kick you down while you're down just to taunt, just to ridicule. Talk about adding insult to injury. See, that the reality is, is that there are always going to be those that are ready to mock those who follow God. It's just the reality. That there are always going to be those that are looking to take their shots, and ultimately what they are desiring to do is not so much take their shots at you. Ultimately what they're doing is they're taking their shots at God. And here's the reality. Our God is big enough to take that. Our God is big enough to take that. See, you, you add to the questions that are being posed to the psalmist, where is your God? And he has his, his own questions. Looking at verse 2, when can I go and meet with God? A, a literal way of, of saying this is he's saying, man, when can I, when can I just see God face to face? God, how long are you going to be so far off? God, when is, is that moment? When is the big reveal? God, when is it that you're going to break through here? Verse 9, we see more questions that he has. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, uh, oppressed by the enemy? See, it's normal to question why in difficult times 
However, we need to be very careful as far as what gets thrown into that when the whys and the wheres and just trying to have things figured out that stir the pot, that, that question the goodness and the existence of God. See, there are multiple voices screaming to be heard at any one given time, and which voice is it the one that we are going to listen to? Which one are we receptive to? See, there are those times when we are crying out to God. When it seems like the only surefire way of knowing if God is actually hearing us is if our pain is resolved. Like if we're going through some difficult things and we're praying about it, well then we're expecting like this is going to be taken care of fairly quickly. Man, I, I, I know for uh, our family, I, I watched my wife go through four childbirths. And, and for our second childbirth, there were just some complications and different things where her pain level was going through the roof. And then they introduced something, an epidural. Now, just the thought of an epidural freaks me out. But, but I, I know for many of you that have experienced likewise in childbirth that once she had the epidural, all of a sudden the pain receded. Or if you've ever been in the hospital and you've been in immense pain, you can push a button, you can call a nurse, or you can even push a button where they can give you morphine. I had that experience a couple years ago. Feeling pain, hey, I, I, I'm feeling immense pain. They come in, they give you a shot of morphine. Ah, uh, because we don't like pain. We want our pain resolved. We, we, we want our pain done away with. And, and in those moments when we are facing great pain, we kind of expect God to be at the button where we can just activate God and our pain is resolved. But there are those times when God doesn't give us the quick fix. Because the solution isn't necessarily in the quick fix. It's not the avoidance of pain. It's knowing more of God through the pain. It's understanding God's faithfulness in the midst of the pain. Of realizing that even in those times that God is enough. You know what's interesting about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is that as Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fire... And then he's looking and he's like, hey man, how, you know, we, 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 we threw three guys in there and there's another one in there that looks like a son of God that is in the midst of them. Notice that when God meets them in the fire, God doesn't come in and say, hey guys, come on, let's get out of here. You ever realize that? God never took them out of the fire. But in the fire, they weren't burned. And for us as well is that when we are in the fire and our hearts cry is, God, get me out of the fire, that in those moments when he doesn't, he proves his faithfulness, that he is enough, even in those times. See, what we have in Psalm 42 is we have this guy in utter desperation in agony. In verse 10, he says that his bones suffer mortal agony. In other words, he's crying out, I am dying inside. Hopefully you've 
gotten a sense of the desperation that he has. And what I like about this psalm is its sense of rawness, of its realness, that, that it's not clean cut. And I don't want to give you the impression this morning that everything is clean cut in the sense that, okay, there is a problem introduced, and then there is a solution to the problem, and then at the end, everything is happily ever after. Sometimes some of the worst Christian movies that have ever been produced follow that format. Where, you know, in the beginning, all oh, the guy had a clunker of a truck, and his, his marriage wasn't together, and they couldn't have kids. And then he turns to Jesus, and all of a sudden, at the end, he's got this beautiful truck. His marriage is great, and all of a sudden, man, they're going to have ten kids. Where everything is just button. It's like, wow, I want that God. But what we have in Psalm 42, where it's, it's not just all tidied up is that in his desperation, he is looking to God. I'm looking to God. I'm going to God, and yet I am fighting in my heart this despair. But this despair will not win out. You, you see, the hope in this psalm is the fight, the fight for hope, the fight for joy that only comes from God, that only comes from looking to God where he realizes that this discouragement is not going to win the battle. This discouragement is not going to win at the end of the day because he is looking to his God. And our third point this morning, in desperate times, remember what God has done and anticipate what he will do. You see, this is not only a matter of what God has done or what he does, but who God is. Look at what he is recalling in verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Now this remembering that he is experiencing, it's, it's not simply remembering the kumbaya moments of the past. It's not mere sentimentalism. You know, each of us, you know, as we are having kids and telling stories, we can talk about things of the past. You know, I can tell my kids, man, I remember when gas used to be under a dollar a gallon. I, I remember when you could get a value meal at McDonald's for under three bucks. You know, we talk about sentimentalism and, oh, those were the good old days. But sentimentalism in our relationship with God will get us nowhere. Because it's not simply looking at the past, it's looking at who God is. If we are living in the past, we will miss out on what God has for us right now. On what God desires to do in our lives right now, in the present. And so here what he is recalling, he is fighting for joy. He is recalling what God has done in the past of who God is and the joy that God brings that is going to sustain him even in this current discouragement that he is facing. How can you be sure that you're not going to succumb to the pitfalls of life and be overwhelmed by discouragement? How can you be sure of that? you got to choose. And it's not just simply, uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to choose. It's that you have to fight. And you have to keep on fighting. You have to 
teach your heart. You have to instruct your heart. You have to direct your heart to God. Man, this is hard. Man, this is something I don't want to be going through. And yet I choose to trust you, God. I choose to follow you, God. I choose to talk with you about this, God. I choose that regardless of what I'm going through, that this is not going to win the day because, God, you alone will sustain me in these times. It's about fighting. It's about directing our hearts to him. When it seems like we are being pounded by wave after wave, it is choosing to focus on God even in those times, not turning away from him. See, that is where he has this refrain then that is sung in verse 5 and also in 11. And it's also picked up in chapter 43, verse 5. As we said, um, both these psalms being taken as a whole. And look at it, the future hope and role that it plays on his current situation. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, in those times when we're asking the questions of God and it seems like he's not answering, remember to ask the questions of you. Why am I not trusting? Why am I not relying on this God that has proven himself over and over again? Which question is the more powerful? God, why aren't you? Or why am I not doing this? Why am I not relying on the one who every day his mercies are new? Why am I not relying on the one who loves me more than I could ever understand that he would send his own son to die for me? You see, everything that people are so desperate for, belonging, for love, for forgiveness, for grace, for peace, for comfort, it all comes from God. What we most desperately need is God. And so that's where, even in the midst of his discouragement, this song of his heart, where he's yet, yet I will praise him. I will not let this get me down. Even in my discouragement, even in this sadness, even in this pounding that I'm taking, I will recall this God who is my God, my living God, my rock, my refuge the one who once again I will praise. And it's something that we must lead our hearts in. It's something that we must rehearse this truth to our hearts regularly because we are so prone to wander. We, we are so prone to do our own thing, but yet what we see in Psalm 42, that God is our Savior, that he is our God, and may our hearts yearn for him more. May we not be afraid to be considered desperate, May we be willing to be more desperate for him because he is who we most need. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. For you alone are our hope and our shield, our comforter. God, when it seems like wave after wave is hitting, we take comfort in knowing that you are still in control, that you are faithful, even when it seems like our prayers are not being answered in the way that we would like, God, that you are true, that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are working in our lives, and you are working everything for the good for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. So, God, help us to trust. It is so easy to get distracted, to get discouraged. But, God, this morning, maybe there's someone here that's just been pounded by stuff. I pray that you'd help them to surrender. I pray that you would encourage their hearts with your word this morning, that they would find their peace in you. And God, we know for each of us those times are coming, whether or not we're in them right now. So God, may we be prepared. May we take the knowledge of who you are and what you've done in our lives into those situations as well. 
so that even through the fire, your glory would be proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.